Anderson. Anderson. Here. Bueller. 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 I feel the need. The need for speed. Ow! Hey, dirtbag. You're a lousy shot. I don't like lousy shots. You wasted a kid for nothing. Now I think it's time to waste you. I'll blow this whole place up! Go ahead. I don't shot her. I don't want to talk to you! Now you bring in the television cameras in here now! Come on, bring it in! Can't do that. Why? I don't deal with psychos. I put them away. I ain't no psycho, man! You're a disease. And I'm the cure. Die! <laughs> Drop it! Fire. My name is Baco, and I am joined by the man looking back at 1986 through rose-colored glasses, Loose Cannon. How are you? I am excellent. 1986 was the greatest year in rock. Nothing bad happened. Mm. Everything is perfect, and we're going to prove it. Right on. Um, you know, if for people uh, checking in, if you didn't listen to part one, go back and listen to that. It, uh, if you're curious on, oh, what kind of thing turned me on in 1986. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, yeah. I, uh, I got kind of sidetracked in, onto one topic uh, going through there. But uh, this is, but let's before we get into to today's picks, um, what, t- why don't you uh, share a little bit where, where Loose Cannon Jr. was in 1986? Where, where was your head at? Where were you living? I- what was your attitude in life like? Boy, okay. Well, uh, 1986, um, uh, I would have been in 10th grade. Um, I was 12 years old um, because I skipped four grades. 
And um, yeah, I was just thinking about college and mm-hmm. kind of my um, work, how my investments were doing in general, and just you know, just playing out my four hundred one k things like that, like any twelve year old would do. Mm, nice. What about you? Well, if my life was an eighties, if my life in nineteen eighty six was a movie that came out in nineteen eighty six. I'd be that character that's getting friend zoned all the time. Uh, I was uh, <laughs> peak puberty, uh, as you probably know from the last episode. Oh, um, uh, yes. And yeah, I was not, I, I had no game. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I wasn't getting any help either. You know, I mean, there was no girl that just fell in love with me and made it easy. Right. So yeah, I, uh, I continued my streak of days without having sex throughout the entire year and the following year. <laughs> I understand. Uh, year after that, I, but no, yeah, I, I, it was a lot. It was really, it was all about, um, you know, besides jerking off. I listened to a lot of music. Yeah. I started playing guitar around this time, and it was just really a, a lot about music and uh, masturbation. Oh, sure, yeah. and I understand. This is the time when your mom noticed that none of your socks matched. There's always one. <laughs> there's always one missing. <laughs> Me and Ken Mills. <laughs> uh, like, what is this weird crustacean? <laughs> Oh, you just threw him away. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> flush it down the toilet. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. The plumber, the plumber, the plumber comes, comes in the, the, this, I fucking blocked up the sewer with socks. Seventy-five socks. Oh, None of them match. Yeah. Been I used my stepbrother's socks. Threw them, then I threw oh. them back on his floor. Fuck you, Eric. Nice. You motherfucker. Okay, well, anyway, Eric was a fucking dick. <sighs> Sorry, Eric. Still is. If you're listening. Nah, fair enough. At least it's consistent. Eric Wallstrom, in case he's listening. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have his address and phone number, too? I'll find it and post it on the group. <laughs> It'll be in the notes, show notes. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, hey, should we kick right into it? You want to get to your first pick? Please. Yes, yes. We have no no beers or anything this week, so we're just going to get right into it. Um, 1986, the greatest year in rock. What is next from Loose Cannon? Yeah, so let's kick it off with a band that, yeah, honestly kind of terrified me when I was, when I was younger. Um, and... Uh, part of that was I didn't get this album. I, this is kind of a consistent thing, but I do think it's important to, to mention it because you're getting all these albums this year, right? You're you're getting them. Oh the no, part, I mean I, I own most of them, but I, there's no way I was able to afford all of them in '86. All of them. Yeah. Okay, but you probably heard a, Mo- a big most chunk of, them. of them. Yeah, I definitely heard a good chunk of most of them. That's for sure. Be, with friends and MTV and whatnot. Okay, so so again, this isn't one that that uh, the I album found after. three guys that would hang out with a guy who was incessantly masturbating. Uh, so I had two, two or three friends. Okay. I would say you beat this bit into the ground, but I still laugh at it. So still do it. But uh, oh, but Megadeth. Anyway, I mean, no, I mean, your your recollections sound like a man that graduated from high school in tw- at twenty two. So it's fine. It works. So let's let's go to. I thought I got a GED. That's right. Good enough diploma. Um. So so nice. th- this uh, for this band that we're doing. Um, I got into him from the album after it, uh, So Far, So Good, So What, and that is Megadeth. So this is obviously the year of kind of a thrash year uh, yeah. overall. You know, you got you got uh, three out of the four, you get, uh, the big four. You got Metallica, and big Slayer. big too. Yep, Slayer and Peace Cells. You, you could argue that those three are, um, at least influential-wise or uh, in their discography, some of their best work. Wouldn't you say? At least the argument could be made for these. Yeah, I don't think a whole lot of people would have a problem with that, at least on premise. I remember first time that I knew Megadeth was actually the cover of Anarchy in the UK, I believe, and seeing that video that was ultra violent. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this one? It was like cartoon, but people were blowing people's heads off and stuff right, like that. Right, but that would have been, was... you know, that was the next record you're saying? It is. I'm just mentioning that was kind of my impressions of them. And then going and seeing this album cover, you know. Um, in the store, being like, God, this is just some straight up devil shit. You know, it's got Devil's Love Island. Yeah, you've got. Uh, but I also Black- enjoy Satan a lot. So <laughs> that's good. You got Black Friday, Good Morning, M O U R. And yeah, I mean, so I always look at that. And then you look at the pictures, and they got a guy named Gar, for God's sake, on the back. Gar yeah. Samuelson. And the pictures are funny of the band members, I think, on the back of this album. Mm. Uh, but, they, but they look like deviants. They look like, uh, you know, Exactly as you would expect the, them to look like, and you know, then obviously I heard Peace Cells, but the one, the one track on this album that I never tire of is I got this and Kill 'Em All on a double cassette, double cassette uh, uh, dubbed for me by uh, my buddy that introduced me to this, and from the moment I heard this first track, just the middle breakdown riff 
Wake Up Dead. But Who's Buying was released on September 19th, 1986, produced by Dave Mustaine and Randy Burns. I think we break down the the producers getting fired by Dave uh, in our Megadeth uh, anthology series. So go check that out if you want a little more detail on some of these things. I didn't get into Megadeth until the next record, too, and I didn't really get into Megadeth until Rust in Peace. That's when I, I started. Oddly enough, though, I had the first record just on kind of an impulse buy at the local drugstore. Yeah, you know what? Great, greater album. I, I think this was the, uh, it, it's notable in the sense that it was the first thrash metal record to, to make the top 40 in in record charts or something like that. And then I think I think Master of Puppets was the first one to go gold. Uh, another thing that came out in 1986 was a record by Ted Nugent. So what else happened in 1986? Well, my next pick is going to be an oddball, I think, for anybody that's familiar with the show. I've never talked about this guy, uh, although uh, the singer from his first record was recently on Decibel Geek. I'm talking about Jeff Scott Soto. Um, yeah, yeah, it was the third record from Ingve Malmsteen where he really unleashed the fucking fury. I don't fucking deserve this shit. I've paid for a first-class ticket. I don't need a fucking cunt come up to me and do that shit. See you in Tokyo, bitch. You release the fucking fury. You release the Fucking fury! Forget it. I really liked the record before this, uh, marching or marching out, and he actually had a hit, a little bit of a hit with the something off the next record, Odyssey. I can't remember what the fucking tune was, but the song I'm going to play today is uh, a song that I, I really it has aged well. Uh, you don't remember? I'll never forget. <laughs>
Released on November 4th, 1986, and produced by Ingve Malmsteen himself. A lot of self-production going on here. You wouldn't think that a guy like Ingve would self-produce. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Anyway, what are you? Any other thoughts? Uh, I, I do actually. I have a, a random Ingve story. No, I, I like I said, I'm not familiar with Ingve, but this buddy of mine who's pretty conservative, whatnot, uh, recently has has uh, got a, got a divorce, and he is going to a lot of concerts. He's like had a rebirth. Um, of, of oh, things. nice. And, and so he'll randomly send me texts of, here I am, man. And he'll be like, meet up with buddies. And he's at these random concerts. And, uh, and this is a guy that was my roommate. He never had this big, big collection or was really into hard rock. And this randomly he sends me a picture. He's like, check it out, man. And he's in an Ingfe concert. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, this is the most random pull that he was that this I would never imagine a thousand years that this guy would be Ingve. And then he tells me, yeah, I had what were the two albums he had? His most famous albums, this one and what other one? Probably Marching Out, maybe Odyssey. Okay, but he had both of those. I'm like, I never saw these. We lived together for like two years, and I never saw any fucking Ingve. And I definitely would have had a conversation with you about this if I saw this. But uh, have you ever known anybody like that that kind of has this this rebirth? Of, yeah, I've, uh, I've, I've met a few guys over the year that, uh, and actually, um, uh, a woman too. My uh, one of my childhood friends, mom, like uh, she was just this kind of crotchety, nasty kind of woman. Um, she wasn't, okay. but not very pleasant to be around. I mean, she she wasn't mean or abusive, but just like kind of a, a negative demeanor. And 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 I, growing up, that was just the person I knew her as. And uh, I was like twenty two or twenty three, somewhere around there. She got divorced and became this f- sweetheart of a woman. She was uh, all of a sudden just really fun to be around. She was constantly, you know, just a, a joy. And 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 then started like going to the bars and partying. And and eventually it went too far, and she had to dial things back. But. Uh, uh, yeah, and I've seen a couple, you know, people that I've met known through work or social situations where, yeah, once they get out of a marriage that they were unhappy in, they go extremely the opposite direction. So it's just interesting that how music comes into but play. But Malmsteen, yeah, that's right. That's what I mean. You usually get like, yeah, fucking crew, man. Kickstart right, my heart. You know, it's like you know, yeah, I really got into Malmsteen and Skid Row. <laughs> Another random one too is he te- he texted me. He just goes. Ever heard of Kill Switch Engaged? Not bad! <laughs> and I'm like, he's at a concert. I'm like, dude. But oh, uh, anyway, we can, move, we can move on from that. But that's the only Ingve story I have. And the fact that he lives in South Florida, and he would play a lot down there when, uh, when I was there. Yeah, he lives that. down there. Uh, yep, yep. All right, well, what do you got next on 1986, The Greatest Year in Rock? Here's the theme. I listened to no music in 86. <laughs> <laughs> And all these albums I got later, but here, but this this band especially is one that basically right before the we started the show, I started getting into Motorhead, and from there, um, the, the the beauty of the going into the back catalog to a band that you don't know too much about that has just a massive catalog mm, is yeah. is the, is this band and uh, the some great titles for his albums and one of them Orgasmatron. Yeah. Not, not, you know, 1986, you see the cover, you immediately are curious about it. And and while I definitely didn't hear this until, you know, damn near 30 years later, uh, as an album, the production of this, eh, pretty suspect. Definitely not one of his best produced albums. And I don't know, there's something, is there something, can you kind of describe the production on this? Yeah, I don't, this is not one of the records I've gone back to too much. I don't physically own no. this album. But uh, there was another record. The, the production on Motorhead, I think, really picked up at the end of the 80s, early 90s, where they, they really kind of seemed to hone in their sound. They kind of bounced around a little bit during the 80s. You know, this is like sacrilege, but I think I actually like Motorhead's Later Day albums more overall. I think so, yeah. To me, it's Ace of Spades, and then it kind of jumps to the 90s. Yeah, yeah. But this one, I mean, you want to talk about uh, Lemmy as far as a lyricist. Just some badass lyrics throughout this entire song. I mean, this one, um, oh, there's, there's so many that he has so many clever little twists on things. And this one's just like pure evil. I love it. Every second of it. And that is the title track.
1986, Orgasmatron was produced by Bill Laswell and something called Jason <laughs> Corsaro. Boy. Yeah, I don't have a lot of lot of comments on that other than that uh, fucking Lemmy. Do you like this song? Do you like any of these any of these tracks, or is this not one of yours? No, this is not an album that I go. No, I, not really. Uh, like I said, it, it's it's okay. You know, but uh, I don't. I don't think I've ever heard him play anything off this record. He's played. I've heard. I heard him play this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That the one time I saw him, like a couple months before he died. Hmm. So this probably but, killed him. Um, it probably was just <laughs> belting this out. <laughs> oh God, the, but, the great Lemmy people, rest in peace. Yeah, yeah. But was it? Didn't uh, the guys from South Park put out a movie called Orgasmatron? Orgasmo. on his head. Orgasmo. Okay. Well, for my next pick, uh, you know, uh, one of my favorite guests to talk to is Ron Keel. His band Keel. Uh, mm-hmm. had their uh, second album come out. Uh, uh, another one produced by Gene Simmons. I'm talking about The Final Frontier. Not my favorite Keel record. Probably my least favorite, actually. Maybe Lay Down the Law in this one or kind of there. Uh, you talked about the production on the last record. You know, I don't like the production on this one. It it sounds like they they tried to soften up the, the guitars and make them a little more radio-friendly. Also, the fact that the lead single was Because the Night kind of hurt uh, the way I viewed the album, you know, and only having so many dollars to dole out. Uh, this is not something I bought when it came out. I, my friend Wilson, who you know, he of course had it right away, so I got to hear it plenty, and it just didn't really do it for me. But uh, I mean, you, you're not the the biggest Keel guy, right? I think I might even expose you to him. Is that right or not? Correct. I mean, I, he probably would have been more famous if they lobbied uh, to get the Final Frontier as the soundtrack to Star Trek Four, <laughs> which also came out that year. That's what I'm saying. The tune I'm going to play on this is uh, it's got a duet vocals with uh, Michael DeBar, oddly enough. I'm not even sure how how (laughs) that came in. It's got Joan Jett on rhythm guitar and, of course, uh, Jamie St. James from Black and Blue on backup vocals. And and Greg Jafria, for some fucking reason, is singing on it, too. Uh, And that is the song Raised on Rock. on rock obviously is the sequel to the right to rock because you can't rock unless you have the right and then you you take that next step yeah, and you're Correct. raised on it exactly mm-hmm. so right. uh released april 30th 1986 and i mentioned produced by gene simmons so uh cool. and what did uh, ron call mca music cemetery of america <laughs> okay it was on mca records this is a joke there so. nice well, can we take a twist here and do the top ten singles? Of, yeah, of, uh, what do we got? What was uh, what was dominating the charts song wise? This list will make your head explode. I can just already just give you the preview. Um, most of the times when you hear these lists, I want to see see if you remember all these songs. Okay, all right, here we go. Number ten, "Addicted to Love," Robert Palmer. Of course, might as well face it. You're addicted to love. Yes, uh, Kiri by Mister Mister. Kiri lays around the road that I must travel. Okay. 
Don't remember that one. Burning yeah. Heart by Survivor. It's a burning heart. <laughs> I like the fact that we're getting I can do the next one. Okay. And this one blew my mind, the fact that it's the top ten of the year. Party All the Time by the before-mentioned Ooh. Eddie Murphy. And then uh, Rick James just comes in going, she likes to party all the time. <laughs> what does your girl like to do? She likes to party all the time. How does Eddie Murphy have a top 10 single, but Bruno, Return to Bruno, does not? Exactly. It's a crime. But uh, this, honestly, the Eddie Murphy song is a good hurt for me. <laughs> okay. How Will I Know by Whitney Houston. How will I know if she really loves me? Broken Wings by Mr. Mister. Take. These broken wings. <laughs> no, that's two Mr. Misters, right? Oh, my God, it is. Yeah, Mr. Mister wasn't sleeping alone in 1986. How about this one, though? This was this one was plays in rotation, I believe, in uh, A 40-Year-Old Virgin um, in the Best Buy, and that is On My Own by Michael McDonald and P- Patti LaBelle. Okay, you stumped me. Uh, right, that's number four. I Miss You by Climax. <sighs> nope. Okay, this one, of course, but... Not this is not a good hurt. Say you, say me by Lionel Richie, which is used by to put people to sleep. Uh, if you wonder why Lionel Richie disappeared for two decades, that song. Yeah. And how about this one? And number one, that's what friends are for by Diane Warwick, Gladys Knight, Elton John, and Stevie Wonder. What friends are for. It's funny to see these these top ten when, you know, rock was doing pretty well, but there's not a single rock song in this entire top ten, except Addicted to Love, maybe. Yeah, sort of, I, I'm, I'm going with your initial point. There really isn't anything yeah. in there. Back to the, the music, though. What uh, What's your next pick for 1986, the greatest year in rock? Um, sure. Uh, although, I think we may have hurt our overall point with by reading off that chart. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So, I'm going to go with... with uh, Yet another band that, that again, I knew I love guitars, and that I'm going to go with Run DMC, Raising Hell, this album. So both of these, heavy rotation throughout the year. And say what you will, if you like Run DMC or not, they, you cannot argue that Rick Rubin and Run DMC was responsible for bringing Aerosmith back from the dead, whether that's a good or bad thing. Yes? Uh, Agreed. I would actually say it's a bad thing. (laughs) (laughs) Although I like Permanent Vacation, and there's a couple songs on uh, uh, Done With Mirrors, but literally nothing else. There's not a song they did after Permanent Vacation that I like. I've argued with you on this. I like Permanent Vacation okay. Pump is my album, and you don't like Pump. No, Pump sucks. Anyway, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about Run DMC Raising Hell, uh, released May 15th, 1986, produced by Russell Simmons and Rick Rubin. Now, you're familiar with the show uh, Law & Order uh, SBU? Yeah. Have you ever noticed that Russell Simmons and the uh, the boss cop? What's what are the what's the guy who sits in the office and tells everybody what to do? What's lieutenant? I don't know. They lieutenant. look similar. Yeah, they look. I'll, I'll throw it up on Facebook. They're basically black and white versions of the same person. Huh. Um, I mean, this and Beastie Boys basically made hip hop mainstream. Between both Correct. Them. Yeah. Oh, you know, as much our... as I like to give the Beastie Boys credit, the Beastie Boys benefited from Run DMC. 
And Run DMC wrote all the lyrics for uh, Beastie Boys' Paul Revere. Okay. A little, little factoid for you. And they also ghost wrote, uh, I believe, a lot of their lyrics for License to Ill. But anyway, so, but yeah, so I'm going to go with just their most the rock-oriented track. This is the first time I heard Walk This Way. And and uh, as Rick Rubin says it, they didn't really have to change hardly anything about this song because how Steven Tyler mm-hmm. um, did the, the, the whole uh, staccato was very rap-like to begin with. So here you go. pick for the 1986 greatest year in rock would be Warlock's release, True as Steel. And talk about a smoke, smoke show, uh, Doro Pesh. And I <laughs> I think she can still bring the heat a little bit. Uh, in her, she's got to be in her 50s now, you know. But, yeah. uh, you know, and former guest of the show, Doro Pesh. Uh, very pleasant woman to speak with. Uh, this was their first major record label. Definitely the one that got uh, my attention for the first time. Uh, it was the next album, Triumph and Agony, where she basically fired the entire band, replaced them with American musicians, and and th- uh, with Triumph and Agony, and that was when that kind of got them probably their biggest fame, even though that still wasn't that big. Okay. Uh, but this record, uh, I my buddy Wilson got it first, and then uh, I I got a d- uh, dubbed copy of it that I played uh, quite a bit, and I'm gonna feature the opening track, Mr. Gold. on August 18th, 1986, and produced by Henry Starosti, if I'm saying that right. So, where are you with Warlock? It- uh, same place I was then, uh, nowhere. <laughs> I, uh, really, I think I knew that one song, what was their big hit? All We Are. That's the one I know. And but I did enjoy looking at the album covers, which were they weren't photos though, were they? Were they all no, they're typically drawings? painting, but they were like uh, yeah. realistic kind of paintings. So, those paintings were basically like Man of War without the. Uh, uh, you know the, the the ripped abs. Oh, the kind of, the same the, uh, the same kind of the same kind of art. You know what I mean? She wasn't on a, a right. Viking no, yeah, ship. it's like a, almost like a fantasy cover of a, some kind of novel. Um, sure. Yeah, that all we are video. A lot of butt and crotch shots made Baco happy. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I don't the, remember the any cover, other videos by them. To be honest with you, the album cover kind of looks like something you would roll a twelve sided die on. Right. Uh, but this album cover is just a piece of steel with a heart being welded into it. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I'm. 
Uh, I enjoyed your interview with her and her broken English. Um, <laughs> you can check that out in the archives if you're new to the show. You interviewed Doro. And my, my kids enjoy um, her, her cartoon, Doro the Explorer, too. <laughs> nice. Oh, man. Any other uh, any last thoughts on Warlock? Uh, no. I don't have any first thoughts. Well, before we get to your next pick, uh, you promised in the last episode, you teased us that you were going to give uh, the listeners the, the top ten list of uh, – Reasons I masturbated. I mean, uh, the top ten movies of 1986. I did. Yes, the uh, the latter of that statement, and that is uh, number ten. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Saw this at the movie theater. Loved it. You? Yeah, it's a classic. It's still pretty good. <laughs> the next one, Ruthless People. You know, this is uh, who was in that one? God, I, it's either Bette Midler or Barbara Streisand or some some broad. Hmm. Hmm. I think it's Bette, I think it's think, I think it's Bette Midler. This might be the one. With, I get this in Down and Out in Beverly Hills. No, Bette Midler uh, was in Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Okay, I don't know who's in Ruthless People, but it doesn't resonate with me at all. Okay, yeah, I, I don't, don't recall seeing it. Yeah, uh, next one is the before mentioned Golden Child. Hmm. Uh, that's what it, okay. That was I, that was a pretty big movie, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean that's uh, realize that if you talk about today's dollars versus then. Um, to crack to the top ten, seventy million is all you need. I think you make that like if you don't make that the first two weeks, uh, now your movie's a flop. Yeah, if it's so a Marvel movie and it only makes seventy million over a weekend, it's basically the franchise has ended. Oh yeah, easily. So, um, but this is also you gotta realize these. This is a time when movies you would come out in May, and that motherfucker would be there until like at the end of summer. Where now, if it's a good movie, it's it stays there six weeks. Correct. So. Um, next one is a top movie for me, top 10 ever. Love it. Never get sick of watching it. I think it's one of the best action uh, movies ever, or however you want to class it, that is Aliens. Fucking love it. Mm, Sigourney Weaver. Oh, yeah. yeah. She never really did anything for me. Yeah, me either, but I was horny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do remember seeing Alien back in the day, and I'm like, wow, the producers, because of the fact that they, nobody, they, you don't see any kind of skin through this whole movie, have the whole scene where she gets into her underwear yeah. at the end of the movie. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's kind of forced. There's that um, Puerto Rican girl with big boobs in that, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God, you don't remember anything else about the movie. <laughs> I mean, I love the guns. I love the, the whole – anything that uh, basically Chet from Weird Science, uh, Bill Paxton says, I laugh at. Uh, I love it. Um, next and one, I love Private back- Chavez. Oh, yeah. <laughs> next one is Back to School. Yeah, this is a good one too. Um, Rodney Dangerfield, and he goes back to college and embarrasses his stupid son. Oh, it's great. I love that. Um, and uh, actually, every single one of these, besides Ruthless People, I saw in the movie theater here so far. Okay. Um, Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. I I saw that years later. I checked out after Star Trek Two. I think Wrath of Khan. Pretty wise. I gotta tell you this much. Star Trek Michelle Ford, Nichols it, it, started to to lose it. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> you're out. The skirt wasn't short enough. Yeah. Now, but 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 this one here. I mean, this is a bizarre movie. This is basically like a fish out of water. Silly. Is this the one where they go movie. get the whales? Oh, yes. Yeah. This is the one where you see where you see Spock. Swimming in an, in some kind of like diaper oh, in, uh, in, yeah. in in like yeah, a, a, a Sea World. This one is weird it, as fuck. It, it's it's really strange. Um, but uh, big hit because it was goofy and it was like mainstream for Star Trek, I believe. Um, but I, and it released another one here. Here's a correct, not a great movie, Karate Kid Part Two. Don't remember Never a single saw thing that about one, it. No. Yeah, I saw the first. Did you ever see the first one? Yeah, Elizabeth Shue. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Was she not in this one? No, they've replaced her with somebody else. Uh, oh, and oddly Elizabeth enough, she, she replaced the the main girlfriend of Marty McFly in Back to the Future too. Yeah, that was so weird when they did uh, that. But yeah, I mean, you talk about uh, a, a, the total package. Oh, Elizabeth Shue was really yeah. uh, uh, quite the quite the young lady in the. Oh my time. god, she was that. And then I saw Adventures for Babysitting just because of her. Oh, uh, pretty much, yeah. yeah. It's a good movie, though. Hey, I'm I'm horny and I got three bucks. I'm gonna go see Adventures in Babysitting. (laughs) Then you got the uh, the the you know the movie that makes you feel great to be alive, and that is Platoon Mm. um, at number three. Talk to my never like I convinced my stepmom to take me to that because it was R rated. I honest to God didn't get it. I was too too mentally there was no nudity. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Charlie Sheen's good looking, but he's not really my type. Like Platoon and Full Metal Jacket kind of blend together for me. You just one of them has. The, I like uh, Full Metal the, Jacket a lot better. Yeah, yeah as it like Platoon was just. like... How do you I, shoot I, I children? Could, just don't lead them as much. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Terrible. 
terrible, terrible, terrible. Yeah. Me love you long time is the mm-hmm. little clip from um, Two Life Crews. Uh, Me so horny is from from uh, yep. Full Metal Jacket. Now here, Crocodile Dundee number two. You're talking about a quality crappy movie to get all the way. 175 million, and that you know at the beginning and end of Paul Hogan's career. And Crocodile Dundee, I'll argue that Crocodile Dundee and Star Trek Four are the same fucking movie. They're both That's fish out of water movies. This is a knife. Yeah, Star Trek Four, Crocodile Dundee, same premise, different actors. Oh, Number uh, one, though, I, I, am I the only probably... person who felt he really hit his stride on Crocodile Dundee too? <laughs> <laughs> He hit his. He, he, he married that. Uh, Paul Hogan. That, Jesus. Yeah. God. I mean, what, he was fifty when he started his career. He was I don't out. know. Apparently, he was a big kind of a Benny Hill kind of entertainer in uh, Australia. Yeah. Well. Whatever. So and then you've got. Can you guess the top movie of nineteen eighty six? Pretty easy. Uh, well, you know, I'm not great as far as like uh, Year, years and movies. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, top Gun. Okay. Boom. Hey. You got it. That's right. Yeah, this is. It also was the uh, number one movie with the most uh, homoerotic volleyball. Shit, yeah. I feel the need, the need for speed. I have never been a Tom Cruise fan, and uh, yeah, I, yeah. this movie I have seen, and just like almost every performance of his, I think the movie would be improved if, with a different person playing whatever character he plays. I don't get it. So. Don't mind Tom Cruise, but this movie—I didn't really like it then, or now. actually, it was I saw it <laughs> randomly. It was on like uh, well, Fourth of July type of movies, I guess. But that, so I saw it a couple weeks ago, and yeah, that volleyball scene is just as gay. And anybody that says like it's this amazing action movie, all I can say is the end little dogfight with this movie is all you see is planes going back and forth, and then guys in helmets going whoa, whoa. Oh, another plane went by. That's the whole yeah, movie. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm an Iron Eagle guy. <laughs> Louis Gossett Jr. <laughs> Those are all the same. There's a bunch that came out all at the same time. There are just a bunch. I, bunch of there's there's one shot of a guy in a cockpit just moving his head around and screaming, and then just planes going by. That's How the Star Wars? in a nutshell, though. It's like one weird thing becomes popular, and then they, there's like a copy of it. Uh, like uh, Tom Hanks had Turner and Hooch, and then Jim Belushi gets Canine. What about vice versa? And uh, oh, yeah. there was what? There was one somebody else that changed uh, bodies. Yeah, fuck. Uh, well, big vice versa was a spinoff of like a, basically a. Comic That's big. it. Yes, yes. It was big and vice versa. They all and they always came out almost the same time. Yeah, it's like they, about a year they, apart. Somebody, somebody was basically at the restaurant when somebody did the pitch, and they just grabbed it and ran with it at the same mm, time. Yeah, basically. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Anyway, that, that's all I got. That's the movie. So we, let's get back to the rock. All right, it's your pick again. What's next? Well, because you threw it back at me, I am not prepared. Um, and that is, well, it's the top 10, uh, it's the Top Gun soundtrack. We're going to feature Kenny Loggins. Um, uh, <laughs> no. to the danger zone. I'm surprised that was not a top 10 single because that motherfucker was playing yeah, no all shit. the time. Um, actually, all the songs. There's no. Yeah, there's nothing from Top Gun on this top 20, actually. That hmm. surprised me, too. That soundtrack was huge. It was almost as big as the soundtrack for Trick or Treat. Ooh, that movie came out in 86, too. It didn't didn't make the top 30. (laughs) (laughs) No. I saw Trick or Treat in the theater. Trick or Treat was the number three movie in the Ukraine, Mm, as a a side note. But, um, yeah, we've got the bizarre band, uh, pretty much a one and done kind of, I guess. Well, I guess they had a couple albums, but Fast Way. Oh, yeah, they had a a few records. Uh, Not after this, though, really, I don't think. um, Maybe. Maybe. Uh, if you're, yeah, if you're On fa- Target f- was after this. Uh, okay. Waiting for the Roar had that song. Uh, ah, who cares? We're talking about Trick or Treat. Yeah, but Pete Way and then what? Fast Eddie Clark? Yeah, I think Pete Way is out of the picture by this point. <laughs> right, that's what I mean. So the band is formed. Uh, its name doesn't even you know have the people that it was named for. And Dave but, King, uh, he's like the singer of... Uh, Dropkick Murphys now. That's right. It is very bizarre, all these little connections uh, when I saw that. And they're like uh, their wiki page a couple years ago. and But Trick or Treat, it's kind of a good hurt. It's kind of silly. It's the fact that, I mean, it, it was the beginning and ending of Skippy from Family Ties career. <laughs> I mean, who, who the hell picked that guy? To yeah, no doubt. This? Very odd. Um, obviously, you've got Gene Simmons as the whatever, like the Wolfman Jack uh, radio guy. Yeah, you name yeah. a character after what you put on your penis to get a dog licking off. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you. Don't speak <laughs> for both of us. We didn't have a world. dog. <laughs> oh God! 
Cat's tongue are rough, though. Uh, we didn't have any this. pets. My stepmom right, was not a fun person. <laughs> you just put it on and walk around the town. Yeah, I just, just would rub peanut butter on my, my <laughs> genitals, just hoping. <laughs> wait, wait for dogs to attack you. <laughs> Sad times, but um, uh, yeah. So I mean, that's it. Like I got, I figured it'd be. Do you have anything else? I most, I, I mainly picked this song, which is an okay song, "Trick or Treat," the title track, to give some fodder. Anything you have to say about this movie? Since you're such a connoisseur of Kiss-related movies. <laughs> I love this fucking movie. I mean, it is <laughs> it is so bad. It is up there with Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park and and Monstered, uh, the movie, uh-huh. not the not the Kiss record. Uh, Got it. As far as just good hurts, uh, it is just yeah. And then of course you know there is some nudity in it, so that helps. Oh uh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah no. And the girl kind of looked like a girl I went to high school with too, so that kind of fucked with me a little bit. Oh but, yeah. I, I do like. I do. I think that the ending is awesome when Roger Hara puts the grenade in in, the, in Gene Simmons' mouth, though. Oh, that's uh, uh, wanted dead or alive. Oh, okay. But this is the one where the DJ has the bullets that that you shoot and they go after him, like heat seeking. Nope, that was Runaway. All right. Well, continue. I got much, not much else to say. I own the soundtrack. I think it's pretty good. Released in November of 1986, produced by Eddie Clark, Will Reed Dick, Eddie Kramer, and Stephen E. Smith. I think that's largely because some of these songs were on prior Fastway records. Kind of like Who Made okay. Who, another uh, soundtrack from 86. Can we mention that real quick? Yeah, why not? Didn't make the pick because it's kind of a cheat, but uh, did you own this at the time or, or later? Oh, definitely at the time, yeah. Okay. Are you talking yeah. Who Made Who? Yeah, Either yeah. way, the who answer is yes. Yeah. Okay. How bizarre, though, that at this point, Stephen King had so much power, and he was, all, he was coked out at this time, just so you know, okay. that they gave him the director. Uh, he was the director and writer, obviously. Of a, uh, it was a short story called Cars, but they said, you can also do the entire soundtrack, whoever you want. And, uh, I mean, very rarely yeah, does an entire band do a soundtrack. Everything right? is kind of weird there, too, though. The, the, the movie wasn't called Who Made Who. The soundtrack was, and the soundtrack was for the movie, what, Maximum Overdrive? Yeah, and the name of the book was called Cars. Yeah, so right, it's just it's just random. But that was the one of my first introductions to ACDC too. Love the title track. Um, they basically just did two instrumentals for when cars would smash into each other, and then and then that, that they kind of re-released "Shook Me All Night Long" with a new video, right? Correct. With like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that which is kind of weird too, because that was a hit only just like five or six years earlier. I don't know. Just kind of notable to at least talk about. Agreed. What's your next pick? Uh, my next pick ties in with Kiss a little bit, just like the the last pick. Black and Blues, 1986 release. Nasty, nasty. Horribly produced by Gene Simmons. <laughs> but but excellently uh, snipped Nasty, Nasty for Domino. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, also the song Nasty, Nasty uh, features the riff uh, from Only You. <laughs> Thank you. 
It's a simple riff. It's a ZZ Top riff. Yeah, it's still got Gene's songwriting credit and something he wasn't kind enough to give uh, whoever, Tommy Thayer or whatever, uh, uh, for when, yeah, when they borrowed it whoa, for whoa, 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 whoa. He has He has his name on Nasty Nasty as mm-hmm. a songwriter? Yep. That that I did not know. That's that's a that's a dick move. Then moves that over and drops him. Got it. <laughs> uh, it actually mentions the the what you were talking about with Domino on the and the Wikipedia page. The title huh. that says the title track is the basis, uh, base the basis of the Kiss song Domino, and also contains the ending riff from Only You. Both Kiss songs credited to Gene Simmons. Quincy- ah, coincidentally, guitarist Tommy Thayer would join Kiss in two thousand two. Yes. You know what? This is not a good record. Uh, I, I like Black and Blue a li- you know, enough. The first record's really good, and I thought In Heat was solid, but this album is, is largely forgettable. Jamie St. James appeared on the Keel album that I don't think is very good. And so Ron Keel, of course, uh, showed up to uh, throw some backing vocals on a couple songs on this record. But I'm going to play the title track, the first song in the record, Nasty Nasty. <laughs> and produced, of course, like I said, by Gene Simmons. And Jonathan Kane is credited as producing the track I'll Be There For You, which he coincidentally wrote. And then he started his own ministry and voted for Trump. (laughs) Okay. Weird guy, Jonathan Kane. Anyway, before we wrap it up here, though, uh, what were people buying? What were the top albums of uh, 1986? Sure. So for whatever reason, it's hard to find the top 10 overall in sales, but they, I have the, a list of some notable number one albums, ones that reached there either a week or two. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Okay. So you've got the Miami Vice soundtrack, which surprises me because I think they came out in 84, 85. That's still there. Um, Promise by Sade. Welcome to the Real World, Mr. Mister. So far, I own all these. <laughs> I know. Um, I had Miami Vice, though. Uh don't you talk about spank material? What about the first couple seconds of the intro? You know, <laughs> yeah, girl, girls are walking by. Come on, ah, those Miami bitches all are, are all fake. Okay, I need uh, a real then, woman like Oprah. Notable though, for three weeks, I was surprised about this. Three weeks in a row, fifty-one fifty was number one. Okay. Then you got uh, Whitney Houston's back again. Control, Janet Jackson, Winner and You, Patti LaBelle, Top Gun soundtrack. There we go. Okay. Many times. So it didn't have a lot of hits as far as the charts, but people were buying it in droves. Yeah, it looks like five. It just makes no sense. Five five weeks it was number one. Uh, True Blue, Madonna, um, Dancing on the Ceiling. True Blue video where she's rolling around on the beach. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Supposedly she had the flu, but that didn't bother me. Mm, Good. Dancing on the Ceiling by Lionel Richie. Uh, four by Huey Lewis in the News, and surprisingly, <laughs> you like only Huey one. Lewis in the News. <laughs> only one week was this number one, so it must have really kicked in in '87. But Slippery When Wet, Bon Jovi. Oh, right on. And two more. Third stage by Boston. 
Their Four comeback, weeks at number one. Uh, yeah. The Sammy Hagar's guitar player from a solo band joined Boston. That's a good good move. Um, then you got for five weeks the monstrosity of the five album Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band live. Wow. I mean, uh, he does actually get like every sale counts as was it five albums? It was five albums. Yeah. So every so every, sale every single five. sale counted as five. So that right. that does help, but yeah. I, that, still, the fact that it was number one for five weeks is pretty incredible. That is actually a diamond certified album too. Help with the fact that it's five albums, yeah. but it is sure. ten million plus. Anyway, all right. So back to it. My pick is the uh, as the before mentioned. This was a year that had three out of the four big four, and this is the biggest of those four. Metallica with Master of Puppets. Yeah. Now, I I uh, just tell my thoughts real quick. I. I go back and forth on this and maybe Ride the Lightning and Kill Em All. Actually, I, I'm a little picky bitch on this. It's hard for me to pick the best Metallica album because you have eight songs. If one's not or two is not good, then it's – but this is – you can't mess with it. I mean, maybe it has their best song if you wanted to say Master Puppets is their best song. Um, just from a writing standpoint, the breakdown. I do love this album, but there's some tracks I could do without. Leopard Messiah I think is very boring. Um, the thing that should not be is eh is a thing that's eh. But uh, overall, it has one of the greatest pieces of music. No bullshit. I am not an instrumental guy, but I love every millisecond of Orion. Uh, for me, it's easy. This is Metallica's best record. Uh, it's my favorite. I had the um, the debut shortly after it came out. A buddy of mine uh, traded it to me for something. And uh, and, and, I, and I still I still love uh, Kill Em All. Ride the Lightning comes in third amongst this group for me personally. But this album, uh, just amazing. Uh, my my stepbrother actually got into it. Eric Wallstrom, the fucking dick. Uh, he uh, he got this and played the <laughs> shit out of it before I was really into thrash, you know. But but I got hooked on Master of Puppets, and and eventually this album has just grown to be, you know, a, a, a timeless masterpiece and something that I go back to fairly frequently. Um, this is Metallica at the top of their game, um, and to me, it, it's one of their best sounding albums. And, yes. And, and, and yes. Uh, James's vocals are probably. I really liked what what Bob Rock did with him on the first on the Black album vocally. Got him to sing a little differently, and I, and I thought that was good. It seems that has sadly put James on a path to kind of to be kind of a boring singer. Um, and I don't look. I still like it. I just think, but he sounded amazing on this record. This also is before he enunciated at the end of every sentence. Yeah. Like the yeah. He doesn't do that on this one, and yeah, I'll give it to you. I think this is actually the best produced album for them. You can you can argue the Black album from a technical standpoint, sure. but no, for them, this is the best sounding album. Ride the Lightning has a lot of uh, echo effects on um, okay, yeah, definitely Hetfield's vocal compared to so. Yeah, but uh, you can't mess with this. I don't know what else you want to say before you just play a track. What do you got? Disposable Heroes. record was released on March 3rd, 1986, and produced by Fleming Rasmussen, uh, his second <laughs> second record that he did with him, uh, a, a Danish guy. And again, not the kind of Danish you eat. But also, he was the guy that, that I'm almost 100%. He was the producer on their worst-sounding one, uh, 
and Justice. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Which is weird. It really is. <laughs> why, why don't they just pick the same fucking production? I have That's no what? idea. Well, you know, at least they, they switched it up. Yeah, this would become the first thrash metal record to achieve gold status. It has gone on to uh, be certified six times platinum. Uh, Sounds uh, right. And, and I love stuff like that, too. Like, most of that was sold years after, you know, basically sure. once the Black Album hit their back catalog, you know. Exploded. Well, yeah, exactly. So, And apparently they didn't piss off the people in the record industry the same way Casablanca Records did because they got certified anyway yeah man so 1986 definitely packed with rock and culture world events just 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 so many things this year this has been a very entertaining and uh and it's been great going through it yeah i i I whittled my list down from about 35 records uh so yeah there is a lot we didn't get into uh no but you want to give some notable mentions or uh, no let me see here if i if i have it handy and i don't so no Okay. For those uh, other notables, just type in 1986 Hard Rock Albums and read them yourself. It's a lot of work. (laughs) It is. So what you got for your last pick? My last pick is probably my favorite Ozzy Osbourne record. Uh, God, it's tough to say. Shit like that kind of changes with with moods. You know, I think most people can relate. But but I I, I do love the album The Ultimate Sin. It was uh, written largely by Jake E. Lee while Ozzy was at the Betty Ford Clinic. And uh, I just, I th- the guitar playing is Jake at his best. I, I think the production is some of Ron Nevison's best work. He didn't ruin Ozzy the way he did kind of butcher Kiss's overall tone. To me, there really isn't much about this record that I don't like. Uh, I think every song is... Uh, is solid. The last song on the record to me is the worst, uh, Shot in the Dark. Um, but that was his biggest hit. And I, th- I believe that might be Ozzy's biggest actual hit single. I can't remember that or, or maybe Mama, I'm going home or, or coming home or something. But uh, it's, it's weird how the, it's weird how those big biggest hit singles are not the one that stick around long right, term. Right. Right. Yeah. You know I mean, I mean th- that's actually really common. You know, I mean, I mean, basically that that is the definition of what defines a lot of no, one hit wonder bands. You know, sure. they just have this one song that for a second uh, it, it, it grasps people, but they, there's nothing else there. But uh, Ozzy, of course, has a wide career of, of, of classic songs. So by no means a one hit wonder. Uh, this record was released on February 22nd, 1986. And produced, like I said, by Ron Nevison. Um, and, and, and again, you know, Jakey Lee is a guitar hero of mine. Another former guest on this show. We, uh, we're starting to rack up quite a, quite a backload of, uh, of celebrities here. Well, we can probably get out of here. I'm going to play Lightning Strikes. So, Rock's not dead. But it's covered in peanut butter.
Okay. Uh, <laughs> What's the show art going to be? I would say, <laughs> it's going to be the cover of Load. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 